four, three, two, one, and we're on. I'm guessing some of you are wondering at this point uh, what the devil this podcast might be about, since the name can be rather confusing. Um, or perhaps uh, you're one of those who doesn't feel the need to wonder anymore, but you simply use the flow of the world to your benefit or anything to that effect, really. Um, in any case, uh, you're going to find out in just a minute or so what it's all about. Um, but first things first, um, hello everyone, hello, hello. Um, I hope you're well um, and ready to immerse yourself in the infinite and majestic world of storytelling. Um, before we do that though, um, I'm going to ask you to take a few moments and try to remember um, all the kinds of stories you were told as a child, um, whether those were uh, fairy tales or folk tales uh, or perhaps stories like the birds and the bees or other such variants that parents use to explain to their children how babies um, well happen um, or stories that your grandparents might have told you or even legends and um, ancient uh, myths uh, you might have read and then imagine you were never told such stories or you never read any um, and try to imagine that you had never really heard about money either uh, because uh, people never decided that's uh, some pieces of paper or bits of metal should be valuable um, and if you can still imagine further you have never heard of democracy because uh, the ancient Greeks uh, never spoke of it with anyone outside the city or never wrote about it or never even conceived the story about the way that people should uh, organize a society really. So go ahead, um, try to take a few moments, uh, pause the recording uh, for as long as you need, and try to imagine some of that. Um, well, now that you've done that, um, try to think about the kind of person you would be um, without any or at least some of these stories that I've mentioned and what your life might be like um, in that situation. Um, I would imagine it's uh, quite complicated uh, for many of us to contemplate this, to ponder on it. And um, uh, I think uh, a lot of us would uh, struggle to achieve this really to actually figure out what we would be like um, if that were the case if we had not been told about such things if uh, fairy tales and legends and everyday stories that we indulge in really and that basically run our lives didn't exist um, but still try to imagine that nobody told you about money or that the world had not agreed that using money is useful, despite the fact that those pieces of paper are not inherently valuable in any way, and some of us in the world um, would still use gold or silver or other materials today, or not use anything like that at all, but some, um, let's say, uh, primitive form of trade, really. Um, yeah, I think it would be uh, quite difficult for people uh, or perhaps for some people to imagine that and to uh, imagine what um, it would be like and uh, what kind of people uh, they would be and how they would be able to make sense of the world and to understand the world and to function. 
in it really um, obviously we would probably need to um, create some other stories to compensate for this so um, this is just a tiny glimpse into the power of stories and storytelling really um, therefore welcome welcome to the ss podcast legend of the future um, perhaps through this uh, quick uh, mental exercise um, i've managed to give you a chance to understand on some level what this is going to be about um, and why legends um, because at the end of the day um, all the stories and all the things we tell ourselves and all the ways we use to make sense of the world and to move forward or to learn from the past or any such things all of these are in some form or other stories and uh, we are all on some level storytellers um, and legends are perhaps in many ways the most advanced and the most uh, performant way if i can put it like that uh, of telling such stories um, therefore, we will be concerning ourselves with telling stories and creating the legends of the future uh, based on everything we have learned through history, science, philosophy, religion, etc. And we will be discussing stories that have uh, already been told um, and many greater or even lesser works as long as they're relevant uh, to our needs, really. Um, at this point, um, I think um, a quote or two might come in handy just to um, sort of uh, highlight uh, um, other people's opinions on uh, legends and myths and uh, why uh, and how they can be um, incredibly important uh, to the development and the evol evolution of the species really um, in so many ways. Um, of course, uh, I'm only going to focus on uh, one or two of them. Uh, there's no need to go through too many at this particular point. Uh, but the first one uh, I want to tell you about um, is uh, is one that uh, uh, comes from one of my favorite books called Serpent in the Sky by John Anthony West. And before I get to it, I just want to give you some background information really quick about um, about this guy um, he's the one who managed um, despite all the fight back from academia and egyptologists um, who um, are a pretty conservative bunch really and uh, quite stubborn i would also say uh, he's the one who managed to prove to a lot of people that the egyptians were far from primitive um, and that their um, knowledge and uh, their well I want to say technology, but it's not technology in the way we look at it today. They had a different sort of technology, um, which uh, we, well, have very poor understanding of. But in any case, their civilization, society and knowledge was incredibly advanced and in many ways um, far more advanced than ours. Um, and uh, this particular quote um, is from, uh, as I said, uh, Serpent in the Sky by John Anthony West. And it goes something like this. Um, myth dramatizes cosmic laws, principles, processes, relations and functions, which in turn may be defined and described by number and the interplay between numbers. That's a bit of a mouthful, really, and it could be, it could sound uh, pretty fancy in many ways. But 
it's not really um, all that difficult if you once you put it into context um, it's basically telling you that everything in the cosmos and all the laws principles processes relations and functions which can be defined in uh, more scientific ways in this case he's talking about numbers and the interplay between numbers um, are actually described in a um, an approachable way through myth so these myths are basically making um, all the cosmic laws all the principles all the processes and all the relationships and functions of the universe uh, approachable uh, to anybody um, even to people who are not uh, uh, very knowledgeable um, in uh, certain subjects such as uh, mathematics or physics or anything like that um, but um, perhaps um, another one really another um, another quick uh, quote will make things even more uh, clear okay um, so it goes exactly like this myth may be the earliest known means of communicating information related to the nature of the cosmos but it is also the most precise the most complete and perhaps the best i know at this particular point you're wondering what the hell i'm ranting on about um how could myth be um the perhaps the most precise, most complete, and the best form of uh, communicating information. But think about our little um, exercise from earlier. If we take away all the stories and all the myths from the world, what are we left with, really? How do we understand the world? What is our perception of the world? Perception, I think, is the perfect word in this situation. Perception is what I would use, really. Because stories offer perception. They help you to perceive and conceive, actually, in your mind, the world. And everything that is going on in the world. With all its countless layers and with all, with all its infinite ups and downs. And with all the... Um, beautifully tragical um, unfoldings and with sugar-coated or sweet um, goings-on. So, at the end of the day, without these myths, we would probably be quite lost and without these stories. Therefore, this is what this uh, podcast will be focusing on. It will be focusing on myths and legends, really. But not in the sense only of uh, written stories or folk stories or um, anything like that. It will be focusing on a variety of aspects related to legends. It will help us to um, hopefully take uh, from the past and from other um, civilizations that were before us from every from our entire history um, all the things that are worth taking and all the things that are worth um, gathering and exploring and trying to uh, 
bring them into the present and then make and thus make sure that the future is um, people from the future will have a more complete and a more exact and a clearer perspective of the world and when i say complete i mean from a variety of perspectives um because obviously there's um there's the scientific the, the progressive perspective but that's just one part nowadays and though most people may not be able to or may not wish to see beyond it there are many other aspects that are unexplored and um are perhaps many times willfully ignored but either way um we need to find a way to give the present and the future a clearer image of who we are and where we come from um and to integrate really to integrate all our knowledge into stories that are easy to relate to easy to understand that have that emotional aspect that makes it so easy for us to relate to them um because without that um we are not really they are not as potent and as powerful and we are not really set up to um in this way to just understand uh numbers or um, to understand for example physics and science we understand it on a very rational level but true understanding happens most often um emotionally and therefore we need these stories that that's the main reason why we are all storytellers at the end of the day that's the main thing um that is perhaps in, in many ways missing nowadays um because we need something to unify all of these and that's what legends do they make sense of everything and they do not separate between uh, mathematics and physics and religion and philosophy um or any any such branch they unify all of these and they try to give a complete picture of the world and yeah that's uh, why legends in this way are important and again as i was saying before um, legends um are just stories at the end of the day so the stories we tell ourselves our perception of the world is highly influenced by what well, what was before us and how we see the world nowadays but anything we tell ourselves and anything we know and anything that we uh, we propound let's say cuz uh like for lack of a better word at this particular moment uh upon the world and all the stories we we tell each other and to others um those are in some form of other or other legends um we we probably need to start dispelling the myth once and for all that legends are lies because they are not they have, that has never been the case um all religions are based all known religions are based on legends um of course the materialists nowadays and the progressives uh, people part of the progressive movement so to speak will say well yes but religion is a lie it within itself and from the from their perspective that that is true because um, um we have many of us forgotten what it's like to be connected to the spiritual and um, to uh, see things from a 
from a different angle. Um, we are blinded to that. But even science is coming to realize, um, slowly, but it is coming to realize, and with much back backlash and uh, um, a lot of stubbornness, if I can put it like that, even science is starting to realize that um, a lot of the things depicted um, in the Bible, for example, and a lot of the things uh, that uh, were uh, told in very old stories and myths, um, most likely happened. The flood, the great flood, most likely happened. Every civilization, um, every culture, uh, be it great or small, that has been upon this world, to the smallest and lowliest of tribes, has a great flood myth or something like that. There's always a legend about a flood or a number of floods. There's literally hundreds of them. Just look it up on Wikipedia. Just to try the uh, myths, of, myths of the great flood or myths of the flood or whatever you wish in that vein, really. And look it up on Wikipedia and you will find that they are, there are literally hundreds of them. And of course, depending on who you listen to and uh, what kind of people you pay attention to, you will see that many other things um, have probably a strong basis in uh, historical reality. And there are many other such myths and many other such things that we need to take into account. Um, therefore, um, throughout this uh, podcast, we will basically try to explore um, a variety of aspects, um, really too many to enumerate at this moment. Um, we will be talking about science. Um, and we will be talking about philosophy, we'll be talking about uh, spirituality in a certain way, we'll be talking about religion, that's how spirituality is really related to this, um, we'll be talking about storytelling, uh, we'll be talking about great uh, writers, um, especially Tolkien, because um, in my opinion he was, he's the greatest uh, legend conceiver really his world builder um, there has ever been um, and uh, a lot of the references that i'm going to make are going to be to him and a variety of other things obviously um, we will be focusing on videos um, books uh, materials all sorts of such materials and this is simply because um, in order for people to um, be able to write these legends uh, to create something that will um, will last and that will be somewhat full and complete and uh, all-encompassing more or less given the fact that that's not really possible but somewhat in a certain way yet flexible and um, easily adaptable then we have to have knowledge of, of a lot of different things and we have to be exposed to a lot of different things and we can't be uh, blinded to any aspect really. Um, we can't just uh, uh, go on wearing uh, these uh, horse glasses really. Um, we can't uh, go on uh, thinking that there's only this 
there's only the scientific perspective or there's only the religious perspective or there's only the philosophical perspective or the, there's only biology or only physics or anything like that all these things need to be integrated and to come into one um, in in order for us to actually um, be able to have a clearer image of who we are and um, then pass that on to the future pass that on to those who will come after us um, and in this way um, help and make sure that uh, this will be to their benefit and will aid them. Of course, there are many other reasons why I did this, why I'm doing this, why I decided to do this. Um, at the end of this uh, episode, really, I'm going to um, add um, a little recording I made, a short recording, I made, well, not so short, but in any case, recording I made um, perhaps a couple of weeks ago, um, when I was more than two weeks ago, when I was contemplating um, starting this podcast, um, uh, since originally I had thought about doing this myself, really, um, but that was not necessarily the best idea I've come to realize. Um, but when I was contemplating starting this podcast, then why? The main reasons why um, this would be a good uh, idea. Of course, um, you will have to excuse the fact that uh, my sniffles during that uh, particular recording, since um, I was quite sick at the time. So um, at the end, at the end of this, I will I will attach that, and um, hopefully that will give you a clearer image of why this is um, really really important uh, once again please excuse the sniffles um, and also any mispronunciations uh, that i uh, uh, that may occur uh, given the fact that i was uh, i was suffering from a pretty bad headache at that time so um there's really a lot of different things that um, um, we need to engage with um and truthfully speaking i don't know how i i have no clue how many uh materials we will i will be engaging with since uh, i can't plan it all ahead of course um but i've uh, made a short list of things that we will be dealing with uh, throughout uh, these uh, this first season there is really um another uh, Another little um, short quote from the same book, Serpent in the Sky, um, that I would like to read out um, so that w we can perhaps um, discuss it and contemplate upon it a little bit. Um, it goes like this. Numbers are names applied to the function and principles upon which the universe is maintained and erected. From the interplay of numbers result the phenomena of the physical world. So the reason why I wanted to um, bring this quote up is because it's it's such an interesting way of uh, perceiving things. Um, and of course, um, those of you who are a little more versed in this matter will probably have recognized something related to uh, to the idea of sacred geometry and those uh, ever repeating numbers that uh, or 
yeah, ever repeating numbers that um, uh, exist in that uh, sacred geometry. Um, and this is uh, what uh, this is saying, really, that numbers are a way of understanding the world, a way of perceiving the world in the end. Um, from the interplay of numbers result the phenomena of the physical world. Um, so the way numbers match together, um, that's how the universe exists. And what, what language actually does is just a device for explaining that really. Um, the same as numbers in, in to some extent, um, but numbers have other functions as well. But language just explains in a very clumsy way. Um, a lot of the time we have to admit it's uh, language is a very clumsy device really many times, um, um, especially the way we, we look at language nowadays um, when it's a bit different than uh, or ancient civilizations. Again, I'm going back to the Egyptian civilizations because their hieroglyphs and symbols could mean um, a variety of different things in different contexts. And I know you're going to say that this is the same in English and in many languages nowadays, but uh, it's not really because uh, different contexts mean something else for them. One of their symbols could uh, change uh, if you change the context of one of their symbols the meaning would change radically and the ideas and the interpretation of it would change radically the one thing i feel like i should say at this particular point is that whether you believe it or not everyone on this planet cares deeply about the topics um the topics that we, we i will we will be exploring throughout this podcast um, and we are all deeply involved with them all of us we are all concerned with this on a daily basis and the more aware we are the uh, greater our awareness our awareness is um, the better it will be really at the end of the day our consciousness is what um, truly truly makes every brings everything about and what helps us understand everything and we need to uh, make sure to be always trying to um, develop that so that we get uh, clearer and more ultimate, um, for lack of a better word at this particular moment, uh, understanding of, um, of the world. Of course, that ultimate reality can become more and more ultimate. So perhaps that's not uh, the right uh, word in this context. Um, but uh, it gets the message across at this particular point. Well, why is it called the SS podcast, Legends of the Future. Well, in a nutshell, um, SS can mean a variety of things. Um, I would probably associate it with situation of the species, though I could also could also be save save the species, and it's at the end of the day, it's the same thing. For in from in many ways. Um, 
and it also has an sort of slightly allegorical meaning being the first two letters of my name the initials of my name i'm sorry case situation of the species is probably not the most important thing in the world but legends of the future well here is where things are going to get very interesting in a nutshell our entire species our entire evolution everything that we know um, and that has influenced us think that everything what has influenced us the most since the beginning of recorded history the beginning of our collective memory so to speak in the sense of conscious memory uh, memory of things that we can clearly draw from um, focuses on stories and legends so to speak myths um, which could be part of religion or not which could be uh, folk tales or just simple folk knowledge or anything like that that has uh, had tremendous influence on people and has tried to explain our uh, emergence our evolution and has tried to explain our role in the universe in connection to uh, the cosmos in connection to everything else and obviously these have um, existed uh, for a very long time since the emergence of um, imagination perhaps when people um, started changing and language first uh, um, came into being um, whether uh, language is um, an information uh, no, wave so to speak is only a matter of information or be it whatever else you may wish at the end of the day the main idea is related to this is related to the fact that uh, these stories legends uh, have helped us make sense of everything and have basically both codified and simplified the most difficult scientific concepts into means that the common not necessarily incredibly um, the common person, um, I was going to say the uneducated person, but it's not a matter of being uneducated, it's just a matter of being uneducated in certain subjects. Um, so perhaps uneducated is not the right word, but simply the person who has does not have the language to deal with certain things or the complexity to deal with certain subjects such as genetics or morphogenetics or anything like that or uh, science uh, very deep sort of physics or uh, anything of that sort um, it's they have co co coded and but at the same time simplified um, our entire emergence and evolution and our relation with everything in the world and with the cosmos especially in a way that is uh, rather easy to understand for everybody more or less um, and these are the things that have guided us for millennia and if we go back to um, our first recorded uh, instance of this which is somewhere some most likely related to ancient egypt mm -hmm. 
um, or whatever was before, uh, you can see the impact that it had, and you can still see the impact that it has even nowadays, um, whether we're talking about Christianity or we're talking about the uh, emergence of a new kind of religion, a scientific religion or dataism as it's sometimes referred to in in any case it tries to somehow explain what um, what our role is what everything is in a way that is easy to remember easy to understand but also um, incredibly complex and codified um, therefore legend is what we always need to create and there's there's the reasons for having such legends are manifold obviously um as as we grow and our understanding grows as we reach higher levels of consciousness hopefully um as we um we understand our role better as we understand the cosmos better um these legends need to be adapted somewhat or perhaps they need to be completed or perhaps they, they need to be fully rewritten at times but in any case um they are a record of who we are and what we are and they need to be um made perhaps clearer like i said or completed or adapted um or and they are also means of passing knowledge on um especially with the, the ideas flying around today related to cataclysms and what will be what will be left of us if anything like that happens or if um there was a major outbreak or a major problem in the world and most of the species would be wiped out obviously the best way of preserving at the end of the day knowledge and information is in um in the context in the of legends and of course um you can think about what the ancient egyptians did and how they um set it all in stone because stone decays at a much slower rate than anything else on the planet it would seem and that's that's obviously a great idea but first um i feel like you need to have those legends and they need to be better than what we currently have i simply do not feel satisfied with our current legends no matter how there is too much confusion and there is no one thing uh, or no one position that one that everyone on the planet can relate to and that is uh, used against us many times but it's an an opportunity or an excuse uh, for people to be disconnected um, for people to still look um, at themselves uh, or look at the world see the world in terms of nationalism or patriotism or in terms of um, hatred or meanness towards each other and it keeps them from understanding that we are all basically the same and that everything in the universe is made up of the same things we do know that everything in the universe is made up of the exactly same things and everything is stardust at the end of the day but we only know that rationally so to speak we cannot we cannot relate to it because we uh, this was not something that 
um, we were we learned um, when we were very young, and this was not something that um, was put in a context that is familiar to us, because people at the end of the day are storytellers, and stories are the ones that um, bring in the emotional aspect, emotional aspect that is so necessary for people in order to relate to something. So um, that's why um, I believe that uh, legends need to be revised, rewritten, adapted, completed, whichever. Um, probably all of these put together, uh, and most likely they need to, new legends need to be written based on everything that we know now. And these legends have to be made, uh, written in such a way that they can express everything that we are and how our entire perspective and way of living in all uh, manner of evolution and uh, way of looking at the world and uh, consciousness and um, a lot of there are many different layers and aspects but they also need to be flexible enough so that later on um, they can and they can be adapted once more they can be rewritten once more they can leave enough room for them to change as we change along with them as time passes um, so that's my goal that's what i want to set out to do really this is the whole, this i feel like it's a incredibly inc uh, important uh, absolutely vital and crucial um quest really um in through which we can uh, not only improve ourselves and discover things and move forward and give food for thought and for spirit and everything but we can also and um ex and uh, make use of our creativity and our imagination which is basically what makes us human and what defines what we truly are and exerted that but at the same time um this will um be a record of everything and this will hopefully uh, help people help bring people together and create a truly globalized or rather perhaps at some point globalized society if we're talking in local terms um, or we will help connect us to the cosmos um, and to the and bring us closer to the understanding that there is perhaps uh, or most likely some form of uh, cosmological consciousness um, and that we need to understand all these things and see it in a way um, that is beneficial for us. But even if all of the great ideals never come to be, at least it will be a means for people um, for, that will bring people together, a way of bringing people together and making them understand how closely related they are and why they um, needn't use, put in so much, put so much effort into war and hatred and patriotism or uh, things related to um, selfishness and uh, less than noble ideals to put it mildly um, but for them to collaborate rather than compete all the time um, since if you think about the very emergence of humanity the only reason why we survived and we evolved and we, we were not wiped out uh, despite the fact that we had um, we had all reasons to be wiped out for we were not very big, we were not very strong, we were not very fast. 
um, we are not great at really anything except for the fact that um, our brains um, were capable of, um, well, imagination and forethought, uh, which obviously some animals are probably capable of, or most of them are probably capable of. But the most important thing is that we, we came together and we collaborated and we, we, were, we helped each other. Um, and that was how we moved forward. And that was enough um, uh, for us to evolve and to not to become the dominant species on this planet, um, but on a more cosmological scale. Um, and again, I'm not talking about aliens here or anything like that, but on a more cosmological scale, when dealing with perhaps uh, uh, natural disasters on a local level or with cosmological disasters, when dealing with the threat of comets or anything like that, when dealing with the idea of reaching a higher consciousness, which of course has to go beyond our local level, which is the Earth and our planet, um, although we haven't mastered that yet in any case, we have to definitely uh, be closer connected to each other. Otherwise, um, this, what we've got so far, is not really enough. Well then, let's get started already, because um, I've lingered enough on the introduction and uh, rather shallow talk, really. Um, first thing I want to discuss um, is um, another quote from Serpent in the Sky. I decided that uh, since uh, I'm going to uh, talk about this book, I'd, I'd, take, I'd start with it and then move on to other things and make uh, connections and uh, references to other things. Um, this is at the beginning, um, this is at, uh, at page 40, um, it's at the beginning of a sub-chapter, I would say, called Number, Key to Function, Process and Principle. It begins like this, one, the absolute or unity created multiplicity out of itself, one became two, um, which is incredibly similar to uh, the Jewish uh, way of looking at things um, really uh, if you if you study anything related to the Kabbalah any Kabbalistic studies you will see that that's exactly the way they begin as well and that's completely understandable given the fact that uh, uh, they the Jewish people actually come from ancient Egypt uh, because uh, they were schooled and educated there. So more or less, so obviously, um, it's absolutely normal and quite uh, to be expected that they would have something very similar, really. Um, of course, uh, it's uh, more than I've just said. This is only, uh, it's not as simple as uh, the sentence I read from here. Um, but that's exactly, or almost exactly, as it begins. Um, let me go on with um, another quote um, by J.M. Plumley from one of his books, um, which is, again, quoted in Serpents in the Sky. For them, the Egyptians, the whole universe was a living unity. The ancient Egyptians could not conceive of anything that was not alive in some degree. The ancient Egyptian could speculate that there had been a time when the world as they knew it did not exist. 
Every Egyptian creation story, of which there are three major accounts, starts with the basic assumption that before the beginning of things there was a primeval abyss of waters, everywhere endless and without boundaries or directions. This was unlike any sea which has a surface, for there was neither up nor down, only a limitless deep, endless, dark, infinite. Well, does this sound familiar in any ways? Um, to me, it sounds very much, very much like our modern understanding of what was before creation. Um, a limitless deep, endless dark, infinite. Um, in this case, um, it it's called a primeval abyss of waters. But be it waters, be it uh, space, be it dark matter, makes no difference really. It's saying the same thing. But what I want to focus on from here is the idea that it's saying that the whole universe was a living thing. The ancient Egyptians could not conceive of anything that was not alive in some degree. So they basically understand or, un or believed and understood in a very similar way to uh, Buddhist beliefs um, and Hinduist beliefs that everything is alive. But if everything is alive, then everything must have some form of consciousness at the end of the day. And this is what uh, Buddhism says. Um, well, when I'm going to talk about Buddhism, at least at least today, I'm going to be focusing on uh, Tibetan Buddhist Buddhism, really, um, and not any other uh, deviations, distortions or changes to that, because there have been many, really. Um, the ancient Egyptians could speculate that there had been a time when the world as they knew it did not exist. So basically they had an understanding um, that there was something before the world and that something was primeval abyss, um, which was endless, dark, infinite. It sounds sounds very much. It has so many things in common with um, um, what you find um, in the Buddhist teachings, really. Um, and these are th this is really what I what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to um, basically unite things, bring things together, and uh, look at all the things that. Um, are similar and that uh, the things that um, everything has in common and connect them all because the things that we find that are similar are relevant and we can use that as a basis really we can build upon that and we can unify everything so that um, the legends that we create are not just for uh, English-speaking people, for the Western world, for this country or that country, but for everybody, for the entire world. Um, it's about creating a culture that can be embraced by anybody and everybody in the world. Um, something that everybody in the world can relate to, uh, regardless of your religion, of the country that you come from, regardless of your beliefs, regardless of anything, something that everyone can relate to. Because I obviously and um, 
believe in um, cultural diversity and I think that we need to keep um, alive our traditions and our languages um, and all the diversity that um, is so wonderful and um, um, so uh, extraordinarily about uh, humanity but at the same time we need to come together and we need to be united and uh, we need things to bring us closer together so that we are uh, less easily manipulated so that the we these things are not used uh, to uh, pit us against each other really um, so that uh, we have uh, less fear and anxiety related to each other and uh, so that we can collaborate more than compete at some point and so that the global community actually comes together not only economically but spiritually really and emotionally and that they feel connected and that uh, so that when children grow up um, they they are told on they are um, told stories that will help them see how connected they are to the entire world um, and uh, not uh, instill fear and hatred in them um, in relation to other countries and other nations and other people um, so that there is no more reason for that in many ways um, this is uh, one of the things that I'm um, really focusing on with this uh, whole project um, and writing the actual legends be something that anybody can do really um, as long as they have a mind for this and as long as uh, they have an interest in this um, and as long as they're going to put in the effort and the time of course but it's not just about writing them it's about your our daily attitude and what we tell ourselves on a daily basis legends are formed um, by people talking to each other really and telling each other stories that eventually crystallize into something more concrete that can be adopted by the rest of the world so that's the idea every each and every person as i said is uh, included really can uh, definitely um, take be take part in this and as i said earlier everyone on this planet cares deeply about um, all that this podcast uh, is related to and we are all concerned with this on a daily basis right um let's try to go back to what we were discussing at that moment um at that particular point i'm gonna um um, go ahead here and uh, go out on a bit of a limb. Um, my my understanding of uh, the universe and of the world and uh, of God um, has always been, um, well, in the last few years, uh, at least, um, quite uh, clear in many ways. In, in one particular way has been um, quite clear. Um, and uh, that has to do um, with the fact that um, God, as you see it, or creation, as you want to put it, or um, what was before time, before infinity, before the Big Bang, before anything, um, what existed before is consciousness, really. Um, and 
it awoke, it came to be within this endless, dark, infinite, deep, to quote the ancient Egyptians or actually to quote GM Plumley from uh, Serpents in the Sky. Um, so if you think about uh, things like that um, from this perspective, then um, things take on a very different meaning, really. And a very, there's a completely different way of looking at it. Um, if creation is consciousness, if God is consciousness, if that's what you want to call him, um, then everything is in a way a reflection of that. Perhaps reflection is not the right word, but everything, everything is in a way a projection of that, a projection of our consciousness. Um, and once you start to think about it like that and you um, make some parallels again with Buddhist beliefs, for example, um, and then I will be moving on to other religions as well as time goes by. There is no doubt about that. But obviously today we are focusing a little bit on certain ones. We cannot talk about all of them at the same time. When you, when you make some parallels with Buddhist beliefs, it is um, quite clear, really, that in a certain way, that's that's really what they think, um, how they perceive uh, the world, what uh, their dharma is, what their teaching is, that there is consciousness and it is non-dual. Um, again, this is very difficult to explain, really, non-duality. It's not one thing because one excludes zero. It's not zero because zero excludes something. Um, it's not, it's just non, they use this term as non-duality uh, to explain something which we cannot really put into language. It's very difficult to explain in terms of language because it, it means that it, it isn't necessarily, it isn't one thing that excludes another thing, really. It is everything, but it is nothing, really, because nothing includes everything in the in in itself really um sort of like if you want an analogy sort of like um space space is empty if you want to look at it like that it's void but within it flows everything and everything is there already so and this dark matter fills the space but still it's supposedly empty. So at the same time, it's infinite and empty, really. So that's that's the idea. Consciousness is is the the creator, the primordial creator, the first one, the original one, and the rest is sort of a reflection of that. Um, and once you start to look at that, perhaps we can uh, go ahead and think about even. Um, um, scientific um, discoveries that might explain this. And um, there is a wonderful series of documentaries um, uh, called, um, let me see, Ancient Civilizations, uh, which run on Gaia. Gaia is a documentary-oriented um, streaming service, so to speak, 
perhaps they um, they make such uh, documentaries on um, a variety of topics uh, very interesting ones with uh, focusing on uh, non mainstream academic perspectives usually um because uh, they want to explore other sides as well uh, since the mainstream one is so uh, close-minded at times and uh, um, unable to see beyond itself at all uh, that's um, that can be the case many times there these people have uh, put their reputations on the line for so long so and uh, for the for academia for academia to admit that they their perspectives were wrong after they had taught it for so long is incredibly difficult obviously and nobody wants to do that people are people at the end of the day and they will they are threatened and by this and they react it's their reptilian brain so to speak is their reaction they cannot see this clearly and they do not want to but anyways um even so even so there are studies that suggest that this might be the case as i was saying um gaia ancient civilizations if you if we look at episode two um which is about uh, gnostic uh, origins or perhaps gnostic <coughs> not really sure exactly what the pronun the pronunciation in modern english ought to be um obviously in greek it would be gnostic uh, or something of the sort um but if we look at that um, if we watch that um if you watch that episode you will find um that there are um mainstream scientists accredited scientists who have uh, uh, one in particular is uh, tells tells us about it in this uh, um in this documentary um who have come to the conclusion based on the double slit uh, light experiment uh, about uh, the way light travels i'm sure a lot of you or some of you will be uh, familiar with it if you are not um this is related to uh, quantum mechanics quantum, uh, quantum physics uh, and so on uh, so um if you're not familiar with it just uh, uh search on google double slit um, quantum mechanics ex uh, experiment let me just double check uh to be sure um that uh that's the way it ought to be double slit experiment yeah double slit experiment and uh, if you just do that and um, you will uh, just write double slit experiment there will be bunch many many uh, websites and explanations the first one being wikipedia of course and so on um so um once when they run that they basically um, noticed that the way light travels changes in response to being observed when uh, there is nothing observing or measuring it so to speak um, light travels in a certain way and when it is observed or measured so to speak then it travels in a different way which uh, does um prove that observation of this measurement of this makes a huge difference so it changes when it is observed so if you extrapolate that further um, and you think about this and you can do some reading on the matter if you're really interested of course you can you get to the conclusion that it's all about consciousness really 
and uh, extrapolating further and further and further, you get to the same conclusion, really, that at the end of the day, everything, the um, only thing that exists truly in the universe is uh, consciousness. And the rest is just, as they put it, a hologram of it. I would say uh, a projection, really. Mm. Well, perhaps they actually say projection and not hologram, I can't remember now, but it's something um, of the sort anyways. Um, so everything is really a projection of that. Um, it is consciousness um, endlessly uh, figuring itself out, uh, playing uh, different games. As, Wall uh, as uh, Alan Watts famously said um, in uh, some of his lectures, it's consciousness playing hide and seek, hide and seek with itself. It's basically um, um, playing each and every role at the same time and allowing itself to forget, but always getting back to itself eventually. Um, allowing itself to become anything and everything in order to learn and to see all the possibilities. Um, so it's, it's a simulation, if you want to put it like that. And in very different words and um, as i said language can be very clumsy in many ways in very different words really that's what the buddhists say in in a sense really because they talk about uh, this uh, non-duality and they talk about uh, this oneness uh, understanding that we are all one really but this oneness is empty yet it contains everything and uh, again if we really manage to um, do some uh, research on this, I would uh, recommend a lot of Buddhist uh, writings. Uh, but the first one I would come to recommend, although I know some people will probably say that this is probably not the best one to start with, I would actually recommend the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, of course, there are more uh, more uh, editions and variants. Um, at this particular point, I I would recommend um, the one that was translated by let me see Robert A. F. Terman. Yes, Robert A. F. Terman. Um, that's the one I would recommend at this particular point. But there are others, of course. Um, uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead can teach you much about uh, these things in. Um, summarized way um, because they don't really the book is not really focused so much on um, on this idea it is focused on other ideas so it has summaries of this so you can more easily uh, understand without having to spend uh, weeks or months reading all sorts of uh, different things and there are many other um, materials and many other resources online that you can find if you want to understand this um in actuality i'm going to um read from one of them um perhaps right now yes yeah i uh, i believe i should um because it will be a good way uh to explain some of these things um so um this was um written by 
this was written by somebody in relation to um, the teachings of nothing, zero emptiness. I he there was a user user called Truly, but obviously um, he had uh, quite a bit of knowledge in relation to this. Um, the laws of physics could have created the universe from nothing. Total energy of the universe is exactly zero. I would rephrase, our observable universe is emptiness. Emptiness is not nothing and it's not zero either, but emptiness. Emptiness is not bareness or meaninglessness as uh, the English uh, Tesserus wrongly defined it. So basically what he's saying up to now is that emptiness is not really what we think as not having anything in it. It's not nothing or zero. It contains things. And this is what the, the Buddhists actually say. Um, because if we think about consciousness, consciousness is not something that we can really uh, uh, perceive as being something, really. We can perceive it within ourselves. We can, we can perceive this consciousness, really, that we are. But or that we possess or something with them. mostly we are i would say but we we cannot say that it is something or at least something concrete in this way let me go on with uh, what he's uh, saying here um, some of the things he says will be a bit incoherent but i'm um, at times perhaps um, he was in a bit of a hurry but we will not get the main idea the central challenge to understanding non-duality exists beyond humans language and their ignorance because once it has been named and defined paradoxically a duality has been created so in in a lot of words really here he's basically explaining the fact that uh, to understand non-duality you should try not to use language as we think of it today because once you have named it you've created the duality because in our minds that's this is what language does we really can't conceive non-duality in terms of words it is very difficult to do that to express it but that really but it exists um even the statement form is emptiness emptiness is form or form is not different from emptiness emptiness is not different from form creates a distinction and is and is not between uh, emptiness and form thus form is form emptiness is emptiness so what he is really um, trying to expound on here what he's really trying to say is that Emptiness and form can be one and the same thing and form can be emptiness and emptiness uh, can be form but form can be form and emptiness can be emptiness. The non-dualism, non-separation between the observer and the observed, no observer and no observed, neither nor is the philosophical, spiritual and scientific understanding of non-separation. So, the key words here are non-separation between the observer and the observed. That's why language um, is really not that adequate at explaining this, because when you say no, no separation between observer and, obs observer and observed, well, this is how language usually works. If you have an observer, you have perhaps a subject and then you have an object, right? So they are different things, but here there is no separation. There is no separation. So if you think about the idea of consciousness, consciousness is it really the creation it's everything and it's within everything and everything is a projection of the consciousness a simulation a hologram whatever you want to any way you want to perceive it 
So um, this is a really important aspect when writing legends, when thinking about um, this from uh, this idea that uh, making people see reality or um, as I said before, um, I know it's uh, not a great uh, way of uh, expressing it, but um, for now, a more um, ultimate form of reality. We don't know how far we can get with this, but a more ultimate form of reality. This is incredibly important. It's crucial. It's absolutely vital um, that our legends contain um, uh, ideas that are um, common to science, to um, philosophy, to religion, even though Buddhism is not really a religion, it's a science in the end, um, but it includes other things. But it is, it also becomes a religion um, more out of necessity, really. Um, so we need really to uh, look at these things when telling stories and, and creating legends and uh, um, take them into account um, to have a more complete uh, perspective, really, a larger view. However, it is not the fundamental oneness. Again, we're talking about the non-dualism. It is not the fundamental oneness, monoism or singularity, but non-duality. As we were saying before, it is not one thing only, it is just non-duality. The non-duality appears to be mutually exclusive, but it's not, although it may be considered two representations of a single underlying human's reality. So basically, the non-duality seems to be, to be mutually exclusive, but it's not, that's not really the case, because it is not a fundamental oneness or a singularity. But it is everything and, and nothing, really. And that is what consciousness would actually be if we would try to explain it, if we're trying to make somebody understand this idea that consciousness is a creation, then this is what it would be, really. Non-duality perceives that self is empty because wholeness um, is originated in and abide in the unalterated and undivided from primordial state of consciousness. So non-duality says that self is empty because everything comes, originates in the unalter um, unalterable and undivided primordial state of consciousness, which in a sense is emptiness, as we put it before. For all being self, all being self, self perhaps being consciousness and self being empty, it is further aware and manifest ceases, ceaselessly. All internal and external appearances are just the singular play of consciousness. So basically what, what Buddhism in this way is saying is that internal and external appearances are just the play of consciousness. And that's exactly what science is saying from this perspective. Of course, not all of science, but some of them are exploring this idea. There is neither permanent external reality nor concrete self and others. This means that there are no dualities implied, self, others, time and space, inherent existence at all. There is neither permanent external reality nor concrete self and others. Well, if we were a simulation or a hologram or a projection, nothing would be permanent nor concrete self and others because 
concrete self and others would require a separation. But we are all consciousness. So therefore, we, there is no separation. We're just consciousness is playing different roles. This means that there are no dualities implied, self, others, time and space, inherent existence at all. I think it, this point has become a little more clear. No dualities implied. There is no difference between self and others. Time and space, again, no difference. And there, everything is really just consciousness. Instead of Instead, all of these things are emptiness, but, moment, but momentary, spontaneous movements of form, combinations of sounds, arising of images, light, and sensations that make up reality. So everything is emptiness, because as we said, it's consciousness, but consciousness is playing these games to explore, perhaps, and to understand itself. Um, infinitely at this point <laughs> we should say and th therefore these are there are momentary sp uh, sp um, spontaneous movements of form so movements of forms combinations of sounds you know arising of images light and sensations that make up reality and then he finishes with a certain um this guy finishes with the um, a certain quote from from Buddha, <coughs> which uh, is, there is no self, no Dharma. Dharma being the teaching um, and other things as well, but especially the teaching of Buddhism. There is no self, no Dharma. There is no self, no way of Dharma. The universe is also not real, but illusion. Um, therefore, the Big Bang Theory is unnecessary, sentient being is not real, and of course, human suffering is irrelevant. Of course, the Buddha didn't say anything about uh, the Big Bang Theory. Uh, this is uh, the guy who wrote this. Um, but it's really interesting how he's putting that sentient being is not real, and of course, human suffering is irrelevant. Well, many things are irrelevant in this context, uh, um, and... Uh, it obviously points to the idea that you can choose to be happy or not. You are free. You have absolute freedom, really. And this is what Buddhism says, that if you, when you understand this, you understand that you are absolutely free. You are, if there is anything that it could be extracted from this, that could be intrinsic, so to speak, is that you are free. Freedom, absolute freedom. You, ha you have this sort of absolute freedom. And because everything is... a an illusion, really, this illusory um, state of things means that you can choose to be happy or you can choose free this freedom and therefore there is no need for suffering and suffering is something that you can rid yourself of and you will understand that when you understand this idea that there is no separation between things. Um, a very interesting way and a very somewhat for me intuitively um, logical way of looking at things and then when you corroborate this with the mainstream science that we have nowadays saying something very similar though it is not um, concerned with this from a let's say philosophical pers perspective or spiritual perspective as they would put it 
it it's still that ma that doesn't matter so much it's saying really the same thing um so to summarize this uh, thing really really quick that we've been talking about um, for the last uh, 20 minutes or so or longer i guess um really what is happening here is that the only real thing uh, the only real thing the ultimate reality as buddhism perhaps would put it is that is consciousness um, and the rest is a projection of of consciousness in which consciousness is uh, constantly playing hide and seek with itself playing all the roles at the same time perhaps in a search of um, in search for itself perhaps, in search for something, trying to understand itself, trying to play out all the possible scenarios at the same time, and they are infinite. Because once it has awoken, what what else might it do with itself? I mean, what would you do, really, if you had nothing else to do and you were everything? Um, so at at the end in the end um, this um, this is the ultimate reality really this is the ultimate reality now um what i'm going to do um is i'm going to um link um a video i'm going to link a video perhaps i will discuss it in the next episode if there is time because there is another point um, that i want to touch upon before i finish and that will take a little bit of time as well i uh, i guess and um, but before that um i would like to um, bring another aspect uh, here related to this that the creation or god or everything is consciousness and it's basically the thing that um made me think of this years ago um this was uh, this is called the, the topological metaphor and uh, the topological metaphor um as was explained to me uh by uh professor joseph farrell well not to me there was this uh podcast on um, on a forum forum borealis it's called again borealis like aurora borealis it's called forum borealis um by Pro so Professor Joseph Farrell, who has uh, who is a um, fascinating person who has incredibly interesting uh, books and so many of them uh, you probably take ye uh, five years studying right now to read them all if you read one a book one per week or I don't know maybe one per month one per month sorry anyway um, but he um, will uh, he corroborates this in the end with a topological metaphor because if you think about the topological metaphor that's really um, what it's saying at the end of the day and this again it's a it's a uh, an old rather quite uh, ancient uh, idea uh, that uh, has come to be and uh, it's just another way another path that sends us the same way um, that sends us to the same thing really in the end so that shows me that this is perhaps worth taking into account um, in the same um, Gaia episode that I mentioned before there is an um, the idea of uh, subjectivity um, which is also omnipresent in Buddhism. Uh, 
basically consciousness is running uh, multi-universal simulations uh, to reflect upon itself and on itself and in a perpetual or unending and ever-expanding process of discovery and unfolding. Um, watch the second episode at least of the Gaia documentaries uh, called Ancient Civilizations and uh, you will see what I mean or uh, indulge in Buddhist uh, uh, writings and again you will probably understand what I mean but what I've done right now when I said that um, consciousness is running multi-universal simulations to reflect upon itself and on itself uh, in a perpetual ever-expanding process of discovery and unfolding I've basically connected Buddhism with uh, the mainstream science and explained it in this way in relation to the creation of legends um, there will be many references most likely to Tolkien's Legendarium since his is the most complete mythology in existence in English at least um, and it came to be um, as the fruit of his thought um, and uh, his perception the offspring of his extensive academic uh, knowledge um, and incredible native ability and intuition um, but in many ways, I will be trying to link um, a lot of the things that he says there because he was, an, um, uh, uh, let's say, call him a deep and avid Christian and that had a um, rather significant influence on his life. Um, and he manages still, even though he was very, he was fascinated by uh, Nordic cultures and their legends and their beliefs and uh, Germanic ones and... Um, older ones of course um, he manages to instill um, a lot and to integrate a lot of the ideas found in um, in Christianity really um, so um, I'm gonna try to see if I can draw some parallels um, between uh, some of the things he says for examples and um, other religions again religion is not necessarily the right word uh, when it comes to some of these um, simply because today i'm mostly talking about buddhism which to me is more of a science really and not a religion um, perhaps a more encompassing science or more integrated science which integrates a lot of uh, different uh, branches um, Let's take uh, again um, the Tibetan Book of, Dead, of the Dead that I've uh, spoken of, uh, which actually ha has a different name, uh, but uh, this is the one, the name by which it is known in the West, really, um, which basically uh, says that man um, um, is free of everything, really, um, and he is uh, he has absolute freedom at the end of the day um, and that's uh, when he understands that there is no need for suffering and uh, not just that the joy will be so immense so ecstatic so unbelievably pure um, that it cannot be conceived really um, 
And this is in many ways um, exactly what Tolkien says um, in his Legendarium, because he says that uh, unlike the elves who are um, who are bound to the earth and to their predetermined fates, men are not bound to it, but have a virtue to seek outside the world and shape their own destinies. And to them, death is a gift, a way for them to gain this freedom, perhaps, and um, well, or perhaps to see the freedom, really. Um, gain, perhaps, is not the right word here. And that death only became a burden to them when Melkor confounded it with darkness and brought evil out of good and fear out of hope. I, I have to say that I am somewhat quoting um, The Silmarillion. Um, it's a book that I've read so many times that I don't really need to read to remember <laughs> the phrasing. So um, um, much of it may sound like uh, quotes, but it's probably not entirely accurate. Um, and uh, this whole thing is a great metaphor from for the freedom of men, because uh, it basically says that uh, uh, they are absolutely free at the end of the day and death comes to them as a gift and that's what that's exactly what buddhism, buddhism says uh, that uh, death is a transition and in in some ways um, it is a gift that is why um, they have uh, the tibetan book of dead the science of dying really because um, it can be a gift really it can it doesn't have to be necessarily it can be it can be the opposite as well but it can be a gift really because if you know what to do um, upon dying uh, then um, or if your consciousness is um, enlightened enough you are enlightened enough then you can achieve amazing things in that uh, time frame so in many ways and Tolkien also says that men will have this virtue to seek outside the world well outside the world move on um, well think about think about the cosmos what is beyond go further so on and so forth and uh, not be bound to the earth so in it's in such ways are all the great works um, of the world uh, connected really um, because they they say very similar things though it does not perhaps uh, appear so from the beginning but the fact that um, religion and uh, uh, sciences and many other things keep us apart instead of bringing us together because um, of various reasons i'm not gonna go in get into conspiracy theories that may or not be may not be true but we know historically i mean the ones of us who have had the chance to uh, research history and to read uh, more extensively we know that there's uh, very few coincidences really um, but in any case um they keep us apart instead of bringing us together to a common understanding, to a common vision, to help each other, to gain that enlightenment, to help each other to go further and to have a more ultimate perspective upon reality, as I said it before. So, um, in truthfully speaking, um, in many many ways um, if we were to compare uh, buddhism even uh, with uh, again talking about tibetan buddhism but um, with uh, 
Tolkien's work, in many, many ways, we will find so many parallels and similarities that it will be uncanny. It's uh, almost, might be even unbelievable to some people. But um, all these uh, great people and great minds are really saying the same things at the end of the day. So that should or could perhaps be indicative of something and we should pay attention to that. Um, I, I I think rather than just uh, ignoring it or pushing it aside um, or not uh, bothering to uh, see what uh, connects us it all because that's the same thing that we have to do in relation to us in order to uh, advance our consciousness is to see what connects us all what connects everything what is the thing how we are all interconnected and i don't mean just people but everything in the world and the universe and the cosmos so how everything is interconnected um, because everything is the play of consciousness the interplay of numbers is the same thing that i was talking about in the very beginning the interplay of numbers is the same thing as the interplay of consciousness really that's the main idea so um today was uh, as i said uh, the first episode the introduction so this is sort of a way for you to foresee perhaps what these episodes might be like and what um, we will be doing here but but Today, I've, I've chosen these things to begin with because I feel like um, they are, um, though they are complicated and perhaps a lot of people will find them esoteric and so on because they do not have the knowledge, they can be easily explained in ways that anybody can understand. And I've tried to take uh, on uh, materials and resources that are can be made available to anybody, really, at the end of the day. If there is... Um, any um, intention, desire, or uh, need even for this. Last thing to discuss today um, is the situation in the world, really. Um, it's a rather complex uh, subject as they all appear. Um, when you're right in the middle of it. The forest uh, may seem like an inescapable labyrinth when you're right smack in the middle of it. So, um, but it's a pretty gruesome situation at the moment. And obviously if I will be publishing this uh, episode uh, months from now, I'll probably get rid of this part. Um, but um, the whole pandemic that has engulfed uh, and unveiled uh, the whole of the world really is uh, something that we haven't faced in a very long time. And um, I understand uh, how difficult it must be. It is difficult for me as well. It's difficult for everybody. Um, luckily for me, I am in a country that is not so uh, highly affected, uh, at least so far. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? Um, we've been now today um, is the 21st of march 2020 so uh it's not like this started two weeks ago um it started uh, a lot longer well it started uh, months ago really and it's probably gonna last for a few more months at best at best but what i want to discuss in relation to this is um, what 
what we can do and um, how we can be um, careful and cautious, but at the same time rational and use that uh, part of our brain and our critical thinking and our, our thinking, really, because I feel like we are not doing that very much. Um, I'm going to start by um, trying to... Um, ask you guys if you know um, really what uh, or ask you to think about the back uh, the back of your head really the back of your head what is the back of your head um, which what is that part of the brain associated with um, if you are familiar with that and I'm sure a lot of you have figured out by now that that's really the what is called the reptilian brain uh, the reptilian brain being the one that is in charge of um, reaction really it's the one that is in charge of survival, really. The reptilian brain is the one that keeps you safe. Um, as you're walking down the street, it is constantly surveying everything for threats. It is constantly uh, trying to figure out if there's anything around you that uh, could be um, dangerous in, in any way whatsoever. Um, and it is the reason why when you're in trouble... Um, or when something unexpected happens, you don't think, but you act. Because otherwise we would, most of us would uh, die, well, like flies really all the time. Um, we would be hit by cars or uh, we would be, well, I can't really think of many examples now, but there are many ways that we could die really. Um, we would be bumping into each other, we would be doing a lot of different things. Um, and um, the reptilian brain is the one that keeps you safe, really. But it's a reaction, it does not think. It only reacts. And it's not really, um, it does, this is not only about uh, survival, as in physical survival, it, it, all, it, it also applies to um, your financial well-being to the well-being of your family. It also applies to anything that is related to fear, really, at the end of the day. If you're afraid for your family, you're going to react, first of all. Um, if you're afraid for your life, you're going to react. If something could happen that could threaten you, you're going to react. That's the first thing you're going to do. And this, I feel like this is what we've been doing for months now. The governments have been, and the people of the world have been reacting, but nobody's really thought this through. I understand that situation is incredibly complicated and really, really difficult to deal with. But what will happen if so many people stay home for months? What will happen, really, to the world economy? And who will stand to benefit? Please, this is the one of the oldest uh, sayings we have comes from the Romans. Whenever there's a problem, ask yourself who stands to benefit. I'm not going to talk about that today because I don't want to get into such things. But still, just ask yourselves who stands to benefit, really. In any case, even if nobody's going to benefit from it, the point is, what will happen to the economy? How many people are going to suffer how many people are going to be in the street without a home? How many people are going to be without food? How many people are going to die when the economy collapses? How many people? It's only been 10 years since 12 years, let's say, since the last 
economic crisis. And this one is going to be worse, really, in this way, because they, we will, how many people are we losing? I'm not saying, think about how many people you're losing to the virus and think about how many people you'd lose economically, although that's a good point, really, you have to take that into account. But we need to think rationally. Look at this. Look at the situation. Um, everybody is saying, well, we need to protect. We need to protect us, ourselves. We need to protect ourselves. We need to protect ourselves. But this is a highly discriminating virus at the end of the day. Of course, uh, that's that's been the case so far. Perhaps it's not totally so, but it's highly discriminating. Basically, people who are dying or who are um, severely affected by this are older with weaker immune systems or quite weak immune systems and or who have underlying problems, underlying diseases that are uh, making them have a really weak immune system. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to a, really, to a weak immune system. So those are the people we need to protect. We need to make sure that the virus doesn't spread. Yes, but we the people who are who have a stronger immune system and that's generally the younger population they need to keep going to work because otherwise all these old people we're protecting now are all going to die later on and in much greater numbers than uh, we currently have um, because there will be nothing for them to eat and not only the old ones the really young ones too and all the others in between they will also be filtered really they will be like a, um, a sieving of who's uh, the fittest and well the most able to survive without food really or without shelter or anything like that because this is what's going to happen when the uh, economy collapses really this is what's going to happen and we are we prepared to deal with that how many how many people are we able to um, keep at home without thinking about this how many times are we going to just react and let fear rule us and perhaps let uh, let some others perhaps manipulate us in this way because we are afraid it's important to think about these aspects yes we do not want the virus to continue to spread and yes it can easily go from 5000 cases to 5 million cases if we do not do the right things that is true but it's, a, it's also the case in which you build immunity and nobody seems to be taking that seriously we can if two people out of three in the room are immune to the virus then eventually you're going to be immune to the virus I mean, it doesn't, it cannot well, not necessarily you're going to be but it cannot infect anyone else because you're already immune. In any case, I understand it's a huge, hugely complicated matter and the implications are tremendous, both morally, more ethically, any way you want to put it, financially. But we need to think about what will come if we don't resume our lives and we let this fear drive us into doing things that norm otherwise we wouldn't and when we look back what are we going to say we say that we acted well and we reacted well or that we let this fear control us and drive us and perhaps allowed other people to take advantage of it just some food for thought only that just some food for thought perhaps more people need to think about this and stop just panicking and taking it more seriously
Well, thank you so much for your time um, and for your attention, perhaps. If you have um, thoughts, comments related to the things that you heard, if you want to say anything, I strongly encourage you to do so. Um, obviously, the website will be available for you um, as well as other sections. Uh, um, if this goes up on YouTube, there will be the comment sections there. Um, you will also have uh, an email address at your disposal. So knock yourselves out um, and there will be well perhaps the email address idea is not so such a great one most likely the website will be the way to contact me and if you have um, suggestions ideas or anything like that if you want to share if you feel like uh, discussing these things further or if if you're not absolutely sure of what to do and where to go from here and uh, I've I, I quite uh, I can imagine I haven't made things crystal clear by now um, that's probably uh, the case then feel free to contact me feel free to do any of these things and uh, I shall see you in the I shall yeah I shall talk to you in the next episode well stay self stay safe be careful and keep telling stories no matter what Thank you.